0: this is the story of a little guy in a big world a small board game publisher trying to make an impact on a fast-paced industry with thousands of new games each year without being able to compete with low prices or large print runs button shy is simply just doing things its own way welcome to diy board games Sit back, grab the popcorn, and listen to my long interview with Ben Beagle, designer of our first cult film postcard game, Say What Again. We start off talking about Ben's experience with the film that his game was based on, which is Pulp Fiction, and we end with uh, thoughts on making a game based off of a cult film. So here we go. Enjoy. Okay, so we've been talking in codes all this time, but now we're going to talk for real. Um... This is Jason Tagmeyer, and I am here with Ben Beagle. Ben is the designer of this month's Wallet Game, or the first month's Wallet Game. I don't know when you're listening to this. But uh, he's the designer of Say What Again, which is obviously based off of Pulp Fiction. Uh, There's some funny stories about how this came about and things like that. But first, we're going to talk about the movie. Um, I just straight want to ask Ben his history with Pulp Fiction any funny stories? I'll tell you why I chose Pulp Fiction as one of these games and why it made it into the uh, into the running. So, Ben, when did you first see Pulp Fiction? I first saw Pulp
1: Fiction in high school. Um, I mean, I'm older than you are by, what, a year or two. Uh, I first saw it in high school. I didn't see it in the theater, but I had friends that had seen it two or three times in the theater. Uh, you know, we were in that that junior, senior years of high school and uh you know you kind of get your freedom uh nearest movie theater for us growing up was uh 20 miles away because uh, we just lived in the middle of nowhere but there were people that if you had a car you could make it happen and so they'd seen it multiple times it's it's like other movies that came out after that like star wars and the matrix and some of those other movies that people go see more than once in the theater for the experience and you know my friends they talk about it and they just they were they were blown away by it um and I, I didn't have the opportunity to see it, but I, I knew about it, and I knew that it was something that was, was interesting. I knew it was something that I wanted to see, uh, and so I did finally get to see it like on VHS from our local home video store uh, back home. Uh, finally did see it uh, when I was in, in high school still. Um,
0: so. Do you know if you saw Reservoir Dogs before that?
1: I actually saw Reservoir Dogs after. I didn't see Reservoir Dogs until I got to college. Mm. Uh so so I did I, I had no this was my introduction to Quentin Tarantino. Wow.
0: Yeah. For me it was like I saw Reservoir Dogs sometime shortly after it came out, not in the theaters but at home. Uh but it was like the the Tarantino run. It was anything he was associated with. That, um Pulp Fiction, uh, uh what was like what? even people he was he was associated like four rooms was Tim Roth and mm-hmm. did did Tarantino did one of them, didn't he? Yeah, he did one of the rooms. Yeah, so, but it, I, even like taking a step further than that, like anybody who was in, in any of those films, I was just watching everything. I don't recall the exact time I first saw full fiction, but I know it had to have been on video just because of, I was too young probably to get in the theater. Well, it's 94, so. Yeah. Um, so, there's a billion characters in the movie. Who Who speaks to you? I think they all. If some you of, say the name,
1: <laughs> Zed. Zed, no. No, I mean, there's, there's, <laughs> there's characters in that movie that speak to me in different ways. Um, uh, you know, just, just depending on who the character is. There's, you know, they're, they're all, you know, they all serve a different purpose. They all have a different voice. Um, you know everything from, from from letting me know how awesome my coffee is, and you know you know from the standpoint that I don't need you to compliment me on things I already know. You don't need to tell me things I already. Know. You know we we can start with that, or we can start with the the epiphany that Jules has. I mean, he changes as a character, but he stays in control. And uh, I think, you know, I don't want to you know say that he's the most important character. But but the fact that he has he, he, he stays in control even though he changes his mindset yeah. is something that I think a lot of people see every day uh, or at least strive to stay in control in some of those heated situations he gets into. Um, not always with the outcome that he expects, but he, he's in control
0: and uh, he's able to manage that. So the Pulp Fiction soundtrack was uh, pretty... It it, it it was pretty defining of the film and Tarantino's kind of he did that at the time with Reservoir Dogs and everything else. Is there a certain song on the soundtrack that, that stands out to to describe the movie for you? Uh on the soundtrack, I, I don't think anything other
1: than the uh opening credits song. I think because oh, it was a song. Because it's something I did you didn't expect in opening credits. Um you know most opening credits songs are, are very low-key they're they're kind of opening they're they're, 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 they're be, a lot more mellow yeah. I mean you've got you've got all the bond films obviously they had it but is as, as a, a dumb young kid uh it was it was just different it was jarring and it lets you know that you're in for something that's a little different yeah um so so that's that's really that's the song I think of from that movie I mean more than anything else more than preacher man or anything else it's that's the song that If I hear it or I think of Pulp Fiction, that's what pops into my head.
0: Mine was uh, Girl, You'll Be a Woman Soon. That one, I must listen to that a billion times after. Um, And I just remember the video had like scenes from the movie in it. Mm -hmm. And I don't remember if it was one of those videos where they did extra stuff. Um, but just, I just remember that, that song just meant the movie to me, but I did get a guitar magazine with that song, Miserloo, the surf song, and I learned how to play it on guitar really terribly, but it's the kind of thing where you just kind of go like, and it doesn't matter. So it can be really terrible. You just turn it up loud. More of an homage than an actual play. Track. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. So, um... The actors and actresses in Pulp, though, pulp Fiction. Uh, something really interesting about Pulp Fiction was Quentin Tarantino went like non-standard with pulling John Travolta out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, Samuel Jackson was doing some smaller things at that point. Yeah, he wasn't. He wasn't Samuel Jackson as you know him. He wasn't that Nick
1: Fury style Samuel Jackson. That's something that comes out of this film.
0: Exactly, and then. Uh, Tim Roth was just kind of the, uh, and he still is, like, the Tarantino guy. Mm-hmm. Um, just like Kaitel. Kaitel was was the Tarantino guy by then. Uh, and um, Uma Thurman was in a couple things around that time before that, but this kind of, like, defined it for her, so... It's where she kind of hit the mainstream a
1: little more, even though it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a mainstream movie. Yeah. It wasn't a big blockbuster, but that's where... You know her name starts to become known. You start to notice her in other things. Uh, you know as I, you know, I watched this. Like I said, end of high school, getting into college, you start to see her in some of these other movies, and and same thing with some of those other characters. And and, and she Bruce became Will- oh, okay. Bruce Willis was in a. So he, he was he he was off the diehard rush. He was he, he was, was almost Bruno, was in that,
0: yeah, <laughs> right around then. He was doing like yes, like uh, cassette tapes and
1: stuff. He 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 made that alter ego thing before uh, Garth Brooks ever did.
0: So, who do you think was best cast in this? The GIF. <laughs> the <saying>, GIF? No. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be the answer for everything. <laughs> we'll get to
1: the GIF question. No, no. it's... Uh, um, Who do I think was best cast in the movie? Uh, Ving Reigns. Yeah. I, I think that, that he played that part well. Again, he's... Uh, talk about another actor that you didn't... You know, you didn't know about, didn't see, but then became big after that. Yeah. I think his part didn't call for... A lot, but I think he, he did a great thing with what he had, and I think he filled that well.
0: Yeah, that first scene where he's just like, I guess you saw the back of his head, and he's just talking. And he has, he's just the band-aid, and it's the back of his head, and you it's know, just this gravelly, low voice. Yeah. Every, every time you hear his voice, it's just, it's, like, it's fearful, but not in a, like, booming, you know, scary way, but, like, that one, I can't remember the one Even line. Even when he
1: tells... Even when he tells Butch that he's far from okay, yeah, he's still. I'm trying to censor myself. (laughs) It's a family friendly podcast, right? Uh, But when he tells you know he's still like he's commanding, he owns that that role. He owns that character, and that character owns the environment he's in.
0: Um. So speaking of him, what's in what's in the box? What's in the briefcase? It doesn't matter. So I had so many. I mean,
1: like I said, you know, I saw this end of high school, get to college, and it's a big deal. I've seen, I see Reservoir Dogs after that. I start to see other Tarantino stuff. Um, It doesn't matter. But I've had so many conversations about what could be in that box, what could be in that briefcase. It doesn't matter. Gwyneth Paltrow's head is in the box. (laughs) We don't know what's in the briefcase, but apparently it's shiny, and John Travolta is amazed by it. I mean, it, it it's. It's it's the perfect MacGuffin. Yeah. It doesn't need to be anything else. Uh, what's the, the the regular response is that it's his soul and he's buying it back. The other one is nope. it's just drugs. You know, there's all sorts of different possibilities, but honestly, for the movie, it doesn't matter, and that's
0: why it's there. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, it, to me, I don't want to know what's in the box. Like as soon as you tell me what's in the box, you know, or you make the the the, the Pulp Fiction spinoff and. It's all about what's in the box. Like I'm just Saturday morning cartoon. Yeah, like I just, I don't want to know. Uh, I love a movie that leaves me thinking afterwards, and I'm still thinking twenty years later about that box or a briefcase. It, it doesn't
1: matter what's in that briefcase. I mean, for the movie, the movie tells the story. The movie tells the movie. It's not the
0: you know what's in the briefcase movie. Um, how do you feel about and any thoughts you have about the uh, the order, you know, mm. the the film not being in proper. Time order. Um, when I
1: first watched it, it was it was very weird to watch. It was very different because I I hadn't seen anything like that before. Most of my movies, you know, consisted of Disney or old westerns. You know, a lot of John Wayne stuff like that. Very fluid storytelling. Um, but as I've gotten older, as I go back to it, you know, you can put it in your head, and there's a lot of uh, you know movies out there that that are and and a lot of uh, websites that try to play out the exact storyline. Uh, You know, as we talk a little bit in the future about the layout on the card, that's why the card is laid out the way it is, as an homage to that style. But um, I think that as I get older, that's the way people actually tell stories. If I tell you a story, I'm going to say, hey, Jason, this thing, this thing. Oh, but you've got to also remember this thing that happened two days beforehand because it ties in. And and that's the way people tell stories because there's so many things that are tangentially related. Yeah. You know, it's not the story of Jules. It's not the story of Butch. It's not the story of 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 any one character. You know, it's it's not the story of a a, a, a diner robbery. It's the story of how all these things go together. Yep. Um. And and so you don't need to tell things that the uh, viewer doesn't need to know until they need to know them. Yes. And so I think he had, he was able to control the movie and craft it in a way where if it had been linear,
0: it wouldn't have been as impactful. Um, I don't know if anybody's cut it in order and put it on YouTube or whatever. I'm sure someone did. But I don't even think I'd want to watch it. I don't think... I don't think they would do anything for me. Because it just feels so right. Um, so why do things go wrong when Vincent Vega goes to the bathroom? <laughs> he goes to the bathroom and... Well, the first time he goes to the bathroom... uh, Well, he gets shot when he goes to the bathroom and killed. He goes to the bathroom and Mia Wallace uh, overdoses. Mia Wallace doesn't know the difference between heroin and cocaine. Yes. And then he goes to the bathroom and... uh, And they get robbed. robbed. So what's the deal? Um, I don't know. I
1: just... You know, sometimes it happens where it's just like, oh, I just left the room or I just did this. That happens in a lot of movies where there's the one guy who's always out... But it might be. Is there a greater meaning to it? Well, I mean, I can get all philosophical and try to say I know what Tarantino is saying or thinking, but yeah, I don't think anybody does. But I guess the, the perceived wisdom would be that his character is not always there in the moment. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I spoke about Jules earlier and how he was always in control of the situation or, you know, paid attention. And I don't think uh, Vincent Vega does that. I think Vincent Vega. He's he's kind of, uh, he's all over the place. He's thinking about other things. His mind isn't on the now uh, when it needs to be. And because of that, he gets caught sleeping.
0: Yeah. All right, favorite quote. You might have to beep it. (laughs) I might have to beep it. What's your favorite quote? I'll tell you mine while you think about it. And I don't even know the exact quote, but it's the wolf when he says, it's 30 minutes away, I'll be there in 10 is so it feels so like out of place and almost like I'm surprised it's even in there cuz even just the way that shot it's cut like he's he zooms out uh but I love that and I say that all the time um just because it's impossible it's it's so good. Oh um, yeah. I
1: have and a lot wolf of the
0: the wolf is just cool. The wolf
1: is a great character. <laughs> there's there's a lot of quotes that that uh you know stick out at me. Uh Jimmy has has some good quotes. Yeah. Uh, that they just again I'm not even gonna say this because there's gonna be all bleeped out uh, he's got some good ones uh Jules has some good ones you know when he misquotes the Bible everybody <laughs> thinks they know that correctly yeah um you know my, my my favorite quote sequence and discussion is the discussion around the chopper and how Zed is dead and how they need to get out of town and that's that's my favorite sequence because uh butch is so nonchalant yeah in his you know Zed's deadline. Uh, he's so nonchalant in the fact that he's got to correct her, even though he's got to get out of town. He cares enough to explain that it's a chopper. Yeah. Um. That whole that whole <laughs> that whole conversation that that they have as as they're leaving is, it's it's it it fits in the movie because there's all sorts of conversations that don't match the environment but still work.
0: Their whole relationship is really neat. Where he just he starts getting angry, she gets upset. He turns the anger off. Uh, he can see like she's like the only thing that can turn the anger off for him um, that's one of those whole thing and that's just it's like a stark contrast to everything else in the film is uh, their relationship um, it's one of those things that if you wanted to make this like an hour and a half movie and you cut like Butch's whole thing out of it um, you know it's, one, it's weird because it, it would be a complete different movie mm-hmm. and he, I don't even know what, yeah, it's just, it's, it's bizarre, because it, it seems so so contrasting to the rest of the film, and that's what I like about it a lot. So where does Pulp Fiction stand for you today? When's the last time you've seen it? Uh, so honestly, I watched it
1: twice when I was working on the game. Oh, yeah. Uh, not because I, I explained to uh, uh, my girlfriend uh, the game that I was working on, and, and I told her the title. And so she started quoting it. And so then we just watched it on Netflix because we could. Um, I mean I own it on D V D, but Netflix was closer. So I've seen it I've seen it twice in the last year. Um, and I found that it's become more of a quote fest. And there's a couple movies out there that I can, you know, quote with friends, and it's become a quote fest where I don't know if that takes away from it. Not from a I know what's coming standpoint, but that I become participating in the Quote Fest more than in the
0: experience of the film. Yeah, you kind of lose lose the film. I guess if I was watching it with somebody else, it would probably do that. If I'm sitting here watching it by myself, it might be less of a Quote Fest. Um, all right, so we brought up the GIMP a couple times. Um, that whole scene, it's a little cringy when you're watching it with other people. Uh, yeah, uh, yes. It's a little tough. How... Uh, How do you think it fits in um, to this film? Like, do you feel like it's just it's just there for shock value? Do you think it 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 works with everything else? I think it works for where um, Tarantino's trying to
1: get the characters of Butch and Marcellus. I think he needs to get them to come to an understanding at some point, and uh, you know he he because of who they are that are, and and how far apart they are. Uh, in agreement on on other things that have transpired in the movie I think that uh, you know there has to be something that is a a major event and and like a catastrophe of some sort not necessarily traumatic like that is but there has to be it's not going to be you know I slipped on the curb and you know stubbed my knee and now we're friends again it
0: needs to escalate and it needs to be personal
1: yeah and it was was both of those things and so they were able to come to an understanding so it has to be it doesn't necessarily have to be that thing, but it has to be on that level yep. uh, for it to make sense for the characters involved.
0: If there was a sequel, we talked about this being the, the worst idea ever, but if there was any way to, to kind of learn more about somebody after the fact, what happened to this person since then, If think of it like uh, like J.K. Rowling writes the, the multi-epilogues to Harry Potter. Who would you want to know where they are? now or later or the next day or anything so I
1: don't I don't think there needs to be a, like a straight sequel and I don't think I would love work. I mean you could do a whole movie about the wolf
0: yeah you really. could do an
1: entire movie about the wolf uh, you could do there an, was that cut scene with the wolf too which was just
0: uh, enough to kind of wet that yeah
1: I mean you could do a whole scene with the wolf you could do a whole scene on uh, you know the crazy adventures Butch gets into um, you know I, I jokingly mentioned you know Saturday morning cartoon yeah um, you know, you could do something in that style with Adult Swim. That could be the way I to go. I can picture that actually. <laughs> um, you know, just little ten-minute serials or something. Yeah. Uh, but, but really, like the Wolf is the only one that I want to, I need to see more of. Or,
0: it, like that, couldn't ruin the Wolf for you. That's no, because me, the I,
1: Wolf is who the Wolf is. Yeah. Uh, in in the sense of uh, Black Dynamite again, going back to Adult Swim. Black <laughs> Dynamite is who Black Dynamite is in the movie and in the film and in the cartoon. It doesn't ruin it.
0: So for me, I think I'd want to know what happens when Jimmy's wife get home gets home. Like if okay. she ever catches on to anything. Um, so would
1: you want that? Would be more of a side story, like they're like going on at the same yeah, time.
0: Exactly. Or oh, in like um, a Marvel short. <laughs> I like. I'm i I'm a big fan of I want a lot of everything, and I can separate it, and it doesn't ruin the 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 original. Mm-hmm. So like. For example, they talk about with the new Star Wars movies, they're going to make a movie every year and they're going to do these little offshoot things. And it doesn't change the way I feel about the originals. So I love hearing more of of a world and a story that I'm into. Um, I just don't like when somebody does something terrible with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think... I don't know. I, like, Jimmy and the Wolf seem like the most... We've seen the least of... The, like, they've... They've just scratched the surface of yeah. who they could be. And they so haven't been fully fleshed out. They the aren't earth. dead, and they
1: haven't run away. Yep. So they're who's left over. Yeah, that that they, you. They're they're a tangential character, and
0: I don't want to know anything else about uh, jewels walking the earth. I want I want to imagine that and know what happened. You mm-hmm. know, leave that up in the mm-hmm. air. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's there's not much. I mean,
1: you know, there, there's no one really else to. I mean, you could do a short about Captain Coons too, because it's just walking, being walking.
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> that's a whole little, a great little scene in there too. What happens
1: to uh, um, to Ringo and, and Honey Bunny afterwards? I mean, there's—do yeah. they change their life or do they just you know repeat you know lather repeat the next day?
0: That that's interesting. Um, everybody, the Eric Stoltz's whole crew. Um, I always love the scene when, when John Travolta drives up on his you know up on his lawn like that was just one of those ones that I always loved. Um, another one would be uh, Steve Buscemi's character, the waiter. Love to see him just. We kind of did see that just in Ghost World. It seems like his like same character. Uh, but yeah, I don't know that there's there's too much to expand on there because it's all done so well. But I think I think we both agree that it would be better
1: as shorts as opposed to a full film. Oh, yeah, for sure. So, got, you know, a couple questions for you. Uh, first one, uh, when we were, you know, when we were going through and brainstorming the movies that were going to be in this, uh, this is a movie that made that short list of 20. there's a movie that made the top 12. Uh, and, and it was your suggestion for both. Uh, can you tell us why
0: you wanted this to be a part of it and what you were hoping to get as by this being a part of it? Uh, Pulp Fiction was the direct inspiration for all of it. It was... Um, I want to make these small games based off of cult films and an example of those cult films will be pulp fiction so it was the one not even one of 12 it was the one pulp fiction seems like it has so much potential for games um we were just first like riffing on it and like five dollar milkshake you know uh, great food based uh you know money you know currency game things like that um I had other ideas of, of where to go with it. Things like uh, the game where you choose the weapon before you go down uh, to, to to fight Zed and things like that. Because there were four different weapons you choose from and all kinds of other different things. It just, it feels like a very gamey film. There's a, a ton of space as opposed to something like, I don't know, like another era would be like Clerks. I mean, and I'm sure I could make something based on the Clerks. But it's like one scene, you know, you don't, you never leave the quick stop and things like that. So even Reservoir Dogs is, is, the whole movie is spent in, you know, their little bunker area. So Pulp Fiction was just ripe for it and seemed like the right place to start. Uh, personally, when I think of cult films, that's number one, even though it's debatable whether it's just too popular to be a cult film. Um, not just because it was really good, but because of the amount of money it made. But it's still a cult film on my list, and that's all that matters. But uh, and it's on a lot of lists. Uh, but this one is—it's the essential cult film. It's weird, but it's, it's it's accessible but weird, which is which is I think defining of cult films. They can't be too weird, uh, or at least popular cult films. Um, it's accessible but weird, and it's it's just so quirky in a in a way that you know uh, it's just to me it's 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 the number one um
1: we talked also about uh you know we were in high school and we saw this movie that's when it came out uh, we were at that age group um i know you've got some younger kids is this is this a type of movie you would want them to watch and is it the type of movie you'd want to introduce to them and how do you think you'd go about doing that or would you just want them to uh find it on their own
0: so my kids are 8, 5, and 5. I'm trying to think of how many times they said the F word today. Um, I at least heard it once from the 8-year-old, and she wrote it down and spelled it wrong. Um, so that's... I, I mean, that's... I mean, But what about from an experience standpoint so, of the so, film itself? So that's a concern, because it just reinforces the use of the F word, uh, in other words. Um... But I feel like we can get past that. We can, you know, we can get past that to, to see the deeper side of the film. I don't know that it would appeal to any of them in any way for, for quite a while. Thinking of, of the things that they're into, um, they like big blockbuster stuff, they like cartoony stuff, and then they like some really weird stuff like, um, my daughter watches a documentary on... Uh, Showtime Pizza was before Chuck E. Cheese Um, it's a documentary on the Showtime Pizza characters and she watches it like over and over and over so she's into stuff that's not extremely normal Um, but now I see this being a long ways out but I look forward to the day that we get to experience it together and they experience it for the first time so just seeing that is going to be really cool and hopefully it's not for for a good couple of years. Yeah, yeah. I didn't say tomorrow. Yeah. When when we were discussing the uh,
1: movies again, last question here. When we were discussing the movies. Um, after I had designed, uh, say what again? You mentioned that this was the movie you really wanted to do. This was you know you mentioned earlier this was the movie that was going to be a part of the program. This is the movie you wanted to do. How upset are you now
0: that you're doing a different movie? So, me as a designer not doing the Pulp Fiction film, uh, Pulp Fiction game, uh, it's one of those like dreams I had for the longest time was like, I want to make the Pulp Fiction game. I want to make a Pulp Fiction game. And not so much like one that makes it to market that's licensed, although that would be super cool. That's highly unlikely. Uh, But in today, you never know. (laughs) We are seeing some licenses that I didn't expect. Um, But I I wanted to design the game, and I wanted to kick it off with one of my own games. Um, So then Ben comes over and designs the Say What Again in, like, I don't know. I'm not going to say no time. It wasn't, like, no time, but it it came together quick, and it showed its uh, potential very quickly. So at that point, I was just like, my game about which weapon are you going to fight Zed with Took a back seat. And it wasn't... I, I'm like, I'm not really upset that it did because this is obviously way better. Uh, it, it just... It, it does it, it... It hits the mark for what we want to do with this project m- much better. Uh, and mine <coughs> used cards, so it was a whole other problem. But... Um, <coughs> I'm super glad to, to kick it off with this. And let my game kind of sit back because this is 12 designers it's not just me uh originally it kind of was supposed to be just me because i didn't know if anybody else would be interested in this it was just an idea that i had so i'm not bummed that i didn't do it i don't feel like i can never make my pulp fiction game that i wanted to make because we did this so it doesn't really worry me and i'm excited about what we have because this is a pretty pretty solid game All right, so Say What Again, uh, it's our first postcard game. It's launching the uh, whole cult film Game of the Month Club. It was chosen to launch... Uh, it kind of went through a weird, rocky time of how it was going to make it out there. Um, basically, at first, Ben kind of pitched it to me, or, or, or... We had the idea to make this, this postcard game based on Fiction, Ben kind of made the game here. We kind of parted ways for the week, and it came back that this game was at a convention and doing really well, and people were interested in talking about it. So our whole entire plan kind of shifted gears because this wasn't happening till January. Um, and it kind of took a, took a rocky turn to where we were going to release Pulp Fiction separately, and then we were going to do the 12 separate from that. And then we were going to do Pulp Fiction first, just to kick off the thing, and we were going to let people know that Pulp Fiction was first. But ultimately, we decided to keep this a secret uh, until you got this in your mailbox, uh, if, if you did. And um, I'm glad that it's the first game. It, it It makes sense to kick things off, even though it might not be a surprise to some people. And some people even sent me Twitter messages asking if Pulp Fiction was the first one, but uh, it ultimately was decided to be the first film, the first, the first movie. So Ben, I want you to tell me. Um, go back to that day in what was it May something like that?
1: Yeah, it was uh, a yeah, early May, middle of May. Uh, we'd been you'd mentioned a couple times uh, that you were going to do this uh, postcard line for this year. It was just something you were looking at. as is an extra thing. Uh, to kind of expand, uh, you know, what you offer and what you do, and you you just you said Ben, I just need you to make a game about a movie, and here's some of the types of movies we're talking about, and Pulp Fiction was one of them, and you know you gave us the uh, the component list, what we could use, the restrictions we were given, and you know knowing that my rules had to fit on one card, I was really just you know, gonna go tool around with a deck. It's it's not you know that's more my style is hey look at this cool thing I did. Uh, what's the experience I got out of it. Um, more so than you know the end game of some big blockbuster. That's just look at this, I did a thing. You know, I rolled a die, I played a card, something happened, and so it's a game. <laughs> but so so that's what I was doing. And, and I was thinking of ways that I could um, make a game with just a deck of cards. Uh, that, that might be easy. And and the thing that really jumped out at me was just a push your luck game. And there's a lot of ways to do push your luck, a higher, lower, things like that. And so I thought, you know, what's a way that I I could push my luck where there's some level of of being able to read the deck? And so I just went with face cards. Face cards are bad. Um, So don't get a face card. That's the entire game. The entirety of the game uh, was just don't get a face card. It's, you know, a limited amount of the deck and it could be spread throughout. It would offer a little bit of tension on when you bank, when you don't bank. And that's really where the game stood, is, is you could bank cards, you could not bank cards. Uh, and I showed that to you just as, hey, here's my idea, here's what I've got going on. And and because it was a push-your-luck thing, that's where the name Say What Again came from. The name came after the uh, the design, and it wasn't meant to be the first game. It was meant to be an example of something that we could do. You know, maybe we can use it somewhere else, whatever. Um and so we kind of, we, we met up here and showed it and it was just like, yeah, this does technically work, but it wasn't fulfilling. And so I, I wanted to kind of show it to some other people. And uh, we do have a monthly meetup at our uh, friendly local game store out in Westchester. Uh, Carl lets us have a designer meetup out there at the Keep. And so, so I met with some people out there and I was just like, Hey, I've got this thing that I'm tooling around with. It's not really a game. It's more of a half a thing right now. Uh, what do you guys think? And, you know, some people sat down to try and figure it out, just, just to play through. And as he does, uh, it was actually Jay Treat that said as the dealer, I want to be involved. I want to play a part in this game. I feel like I should be doing something other than just you know playing Vanna White, essentially. And so he's the one who actually used Say What Again as an option. And so then we tooled around with how to make that work. And adding that antagonistic dealer made the game a game instead of half a thing where you just don't want a face card that you could play by yourself sitting at home. Um, It made it a a group game instead of just something that could be solo. And uh, we played it with a bunch of of designers there. Uh, People, I mean, it got, I want to say it got strength tested that day and stress tested because uh, different designers were taking different roles as the dealer and as the players on purpose just to see if it didn't work. We found that you could, you could meter that as a player. And so it, it sat in a really good place, and you know we were kind of excited about it. And, and so that's how the game came
0: about. Um, so you use the quote as the title of the game, and the quote is a big part of this game. So yes. I say, say what again, and you either say it or you don't, and yeah. you try not to get that face card. Um, it sort of set a precedent for, for like, we don't have that many games that are based off of quotes, but I feel like it it set the standard that this is how simple it could be. Um, and do you think that they should be like that? Do you think that um, – how do you feel like that? Because to me, even designing mine, I look back at yours with a quote and I say, how could I just do something that simple? You know.
1: But it, I, I got lucky. I'll be honest with you. I got lucky that J-Treat was there. <laughs> I, I, I will say that until the day I die, that, that I made a game, JTree helped make it fun. The other designers there helped make it fun. Um, I mean, they took it and, and Jay played it with people at Origins like that next weekend. And they started house ruling things. And so that helped the game grow. I mean, we've had discussions on expanding this game with some other things that don't fit what we're working with now to, to make it more of a like a publishable game as opposed to. You know what it is now where it's a game but it's not there and it wasn't it was easy to get to there because things fell into place but it shouldn't necessarily always be that easy even from a gameplay perspective like this game is pretty easy the decisions you make are fairly straightforward um, there's a lot of information available to you uh, to make those decisions um, but that doesn't mean all the games need to be like that I like to play games like that but I don't like to play only games like that, yeah, and so I think some of the other games in the series have, have grown out of that. Where some of them were really simple, uh, and you know they've had to grow. And what's that extra thing? And we've even had conversations here about what's that extra thing we can add in. Yeah. Um, you know, can we add this extra thing to to kind of take it to the next level, or does it just need to be this simple from both a design perspective and a game perspective? Because I think it I think it
0: ended up being simple on both. So to me where this is simple is it hits the mark with with nothing getting in the way. Say what again, you know the, the line from Pulp Fiction, you know that somebody's got a gun to your face. Like To me, that's where it, the simplicity comes in. The gameplay is, it's not super complex, but the simplicity is in the translation of film to postcard, uh, and I think it hits that in a, in a very simple simple way
1: one of the things that, that you had mentioned when, when we started or when you started this and you started soliciting designers is that you you didn't want it to just be pulp fiction the game or yeah. you know clerks the game or any of those the other movies were actually doing the game you wanted it to be a real like a, a real experience and so being able you know from a pusher luck standpoint that scene with the gun to your head, with the gun pointed right at you, has that level of, um, of you know, it gives you that feeling of, of dread, of, of something bad could happen. Yeah. And, and the way it works, being that the bad thing is actually worse than the good thing, it's twice as bad as the good thing, um, not counting losing any cards you didn't bank, you know, makes it, there, There's you can have a lot of dread in that moment and a lot of uncertainty uh, just from from random chance, which, you know, there's a lot of there's random chance in that movie that that causes things in and around that scene. Um, I think it evokes if you watch players play it, it evokes that emotion in the players too. Uh, different players when they're the dealer act in different ways. But they all act, you know, in a way that evokes what, what Jules is doing and, and the role that he's taking on and, and the players actually are taking on uh, the roles of, of people like Brad. You know, they're they're uncertain. They're trying to figure out what their out is and and where they can go. Um, And and again, that that doesn't come from don't get a face card that comes from the dealer antagonizing the players. Um, That's that's what Jules is doing. He's antagonizing them. You know, even if it's not for that express, you know, end goal of killing them, he is certainly antagonizing them to keep them heightened. And so that just happened to come across with the dealer. Can end quote,
0: you, "Can you think of any other games where the dealer is the most fun role to play or it might not even be the most fun, but just of that level of control as a dealer. Can you think of any other game with that?
1: I, I honestly can't, and I can't it's either. It's not something that would have come to my mind. It, it, it came out of, like I said, it was born out of the fact that as the dealer, you felt like Vanna White waiting for things to happen. You, you were not involved in the game. And now, as the dealer, you can actually win the round because of that.
0: Um, so you mentioned con- conventions. Uh, we know that this ended up at Origins, mm-hmm. and neither you or I were at Origins. So if you can tell us about that, but also your experience at conventions since.
1: So uh, so, so, at Origins, again, we weren't there, but uh, you and I were able to follow along every day as, as people were mentioning it on, on uh, uh, Twitter I saw pictures of it. I saw uh, video of it. I saw the hashtag, and I still use the hashtag. I saw vlogs afterwards. I saw podcasts. People came back, and I had you know, some other designers from the filiary who listened to podcasts that maybe I didn't. They were like, hey, listen to this podcast at 2.23. They talk about you. Um, and so that was kind of cool to be like, these people are talking about me, and they really have no idea who I am because they were introduced through a different way. It's not a game that... It was taught in a conventional manner, and, and I don't even teach it in a conventional manner. Um, it's it's not a game where you you need to get the rule sheet out if you have anybody who's ever played before. And so when I played at conventions, uh, the first time I got to play it uh, at a, a legitimate convention was at DEXCON. Uh, we played it. So we played it the weekend after Origins at Nunpub, and and some people really wanted to get into it. Uh, they hadn't. They just saw us playing it. We were trying out some some new roles and a custom deck just to see what we could, you know, expand the game if it was possible and, and where it might work. And it grew from there. Um, I know people went home and I heard had people telling me that they taught it to their friends and their friends picked it right up and their friends taught it to their friends. And I, I taught it to my family. And, and so now they know how to play. Uh, but at DexCon was the first experience that I got where people were like, can you teach us how to play your game? And it's, it's kind of funny because at this point it doesn't feel like teaching the game. It feels like as I teach the game, I'm already playing it.
0: Yeah, it's a very fluid... Um, here, I'm dealing your card, you know. What's your name? Let me say yeah. your name. And It's... it's. I mean, the the only thing I explain to people after
1: I tell them the title is, is don't get a face card. Face cards are bad. Yeah. That's how I introduce the game. And then as the elements are presented, as they're revealed, that's the time to, to introduce the rule about it, not at the beginning, because then players can get involved. Um, but yeah, we played it... Um, we played it at DexCon up in North Jersey. And then again at Metatopia here in, uh, in North Jersey at their playtesting invention we played it. And one of the things that people had told me, because uh, at DexCon we did play an 11-player game over dinner. Wow. One of the things that happened, yeah, it was, it was amazing to, to know that it could do that. Yeah. But because there was only one dealer, we had a lot of downtime. Yeah. Uh, which, which can't happen because as the dealer, you know, you're only addressing one person at a time. Uh, you know, the other players can heckle it a little bit. They can be involved, but you're really only uh, dealing yeah. with that one player. So I wanted to try a, a two dealer game. Um, I haven't tried that yet. Okay. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. Um, it's actually, um, uh, the guys who did Epic picnic devious devices. Yeah. Uh, he, he actually wrote up on his website. Uh, he used it to open his, his write up on, uh, um metatopia as a, as a convention wow it just mentioned like the, the event and how he felt and and i love that i love the feeling of that that, that players get but with two dealers uh it, it added so much possibility i mean there were only in, in the game that we played with two dealers it, we had 12 people four of them had played the game before and the rest learned it as they went wow um and so, so we started, Jay and I started opposite side of the table and just passed the deck because that's what you do after you've you've uh, exhausted your deck. You pass the deck to the next player, everybody gets a chance. So it plays faster than it would have because there's two decks moving around the table instead of one. But one of the interesting the things that happened is, is people went to metagame it. Uh, they added an extra layer where uh, because the players work at different speeds, whether they bust or pass, there were a lot of times where one of the dealers was catching up to the other one. Okay. Um, and we actually had a dealer who told us to pass, was yelling at us to pass because he actually wanted to lap the other dealer. <laughs> that was his goal. He made that. He didn't care how many points he got. He wanted to be the first one to lap. He wanted to be, be able to say he was the first. And so we all knew that, so we kind of we slow-rolled him a little bit. He did a- actually catch up to the other player, uh, to the other dealer. And what happened was was the dealer realized what was happening. And so – or the player realized what was happening. So at that moment, he actually looked up at the first dealer and just said pass, even though he was on a good run, because he didn't want it to happen. He was able to troll the game from a different position. I really liked that. I liked the way, because the dealers were moving around the table instead of staying in one place, it it changed it. It it allowed you to get even more in in the player's face and and change up that dynamic. One of the newer players, after he was the dealer, he actually said, I think I played that wrong. And, And my response to that was did you get at least one card he said yes i said did you have fun he said yes i said then you played it exactly right yeah. you know every dealer plays it a little different and that makes it fun cuz there are probably 100 people right now that i want to watch be the dealer that i haven't had the opportunity to
0: yet so that's something i was going to say was it's even i haven't played 11 12 people but you know 5 6 people while there's downtime while you're watching watching and waiting for somebody else It's fun to watch both the dealer and the receiver or whatever you would call it. It's fun to watch that. Uh, You don't get that with a lot of games. You get that with dexterity games. It's fun to watch to see what's going to happen. But this one, it it does have that entertaining side to it. and Just how the dealer is going to approach things. Mm -hmm. Are they an aggressive dealer? Are they, you know, subtle? Are they, you know... I've played with my aunt and she never looked at the deck.
1: Yeah. And that, that that throws you off too because you can't judge them because they don't have the knowledge that you're hoping they have and you might be able to read. Um. So
0: um, the limitations of postcard design, uh, while this nailed it pretty quickly, you've worked on all the other games uh, in development and testing and everything else. How do, how do you approach the limitations of that? Is it something like, where you enjoy uh, being given a limitation and you design from there, even though you say you're not a designer. We should, we should address that. I am uh, not a designer. I am no one of consequence. <laughs> uh, do you like to be handed three cards here make a game or or do you prefer just to kind of let it settle in where it ends up?
1: Um, I, I like to be given some limitation or something. I mean, you know, growing up as a little kid, you, you would have things where you'd be like, I'm going to be able to get all the way to the yard in 17 jumps and that's a game. Yeah. Um, and, and that has no components or I'm going to hold my breath for 48 seconds or I'm going to pat my head and, you know, rub my belly at the same time. All those little things that can become a game. That's where I approach it is what can I do with this thing to have some fun? That's the way, I mean, any of my, you know, half of things, half of designs, that's where they come from is, is what can I do with it? After that, it's where, you know, what can I do to make this fun or what can, what kind of experience can I evoke or do I want to evoke or am I evoking and how can I strengthen that? Um. So, so having a, having a, a limitation actually just gives me the thing that I need to do to just like, you know, mess around with, to figure it out. And that's where the, you know, again, having the deck of cards and knowing that that was the only component I was going to try to use allowed me to figure out what are the things I can do with this before I even knew what movie I was going to do before I even knew you know what the title of my movie was going to be having that limitation is is good for me because I think as a designer um I come mechanics first I come again look at this cool thing I did yeah is it more than half a thing does it does it warrant uh work beyond this or effort beyond this after that I'm uh, emotion or player feeling and then the I'm horrible about theme. Um, you know, I've had a conversation with, uh, um, with Isaac Shalev where he basically introduced me at BGG Con as the guy who takes equations and mechanisms and might turn them into a game <laughs> uh, because I'm so theme last. You know, if you give me the theme, I'll make the mechan- the mechanisms and I'll make the, the feeling fit it. But I, I don't even come up with it myself. Or if I do come up with it, it's it's so wrong that it shouldn't even
0: happen. <laughs> See, I'm like, I'd say I'm the complete opposite, but I've kind of come to it from all approaches. But I love taking something that has no theme and making a theme ingrained in it to where you would think that it was there from the beginning. Yeah. Like, that's my, that's probably the most satisfying thing for me is to take something that has a theme and then making a better one or just, just theming games is for some reason very satisfying. Like you're fired? And some of the changes that happened there. You're fired. And some of the, uh, some of
1: the expansion roles and some of the, the, the massaging that happened behind the scenes.
0: My biggest one is probably, like, Smoke and Mirrors. Yeah. Smoke and Mirrors was... Well, was completely
1: abstract. It was, it just, was just numbers. A,
0: a number game, and we talked about a whole a bunch of different ways to, to do it. But um, I took the bluffing aspect. I took the one-up. It's basically a game about one-upping your neighbor. And uh, we just went through things like that, like whose car can drive faster mm-hmm. and... And where it ended, it just felt like it was it should have been there the whole time, or it was there the whole time. And then time. there were ways again after
1: after we had that theme. There were ways that I was able to help massage the the, the, yeah. the the actual gameplay in that direction. Exactly. But um. But I would have never. You know, I wouldn't have been a theme thing. I would have just been here's what it is. Let's we can we can cram it into the box after we know what size the box
0: is. I'm. Chip Bouvet is the one who designed Smoke and Mirrors. It was all DMs and lots of DMs back and forth on Twitter just about about the theme and about everything else and we're talking about another game right now that he's working on and it's just starting that process over and it, it's one of those ones that kind of gets my gears going um, and while it's it's time consuming, it's, a, it's a, a lot of typing on my phone but it's super fulfilling. So I'm excited to go down that road again. Um when when you saw
1: the game for the first time, yeah. or was it indicative of what you were hoping to get out of this? Was it lighter than you were expecting, heavier? Or like how did it how did it fit your expectations
0: of, of the series as a whole? So it was way different because I said before, I said it on a different thing, that I was originally working on something for Pulp Fiction. And not even working on it, but it was just kinda of like the dream project. Um a couple different things, like which weapon are you gonna go fight Zed with, and then uh the $5 milkshake, but one of the ideas that I had, and it probably stuck in the most, was cleaning up the car after Marvin is killed. And it was just a, just a, you know, a way to represent that in a game, and it's very simple, you know, just a game about cleaning things up is it, it simple. So, I had, um, scenes in mind, and to me, this was a quote, and it was just a complete different, uh, thought process. Like, I never thought, let me just, make something based off of a quote or something that works with a quote. I just had like a, a visual picture. So um, my idea for even a postcard, if you know something was going to be a postcard, I had lots of visual stuff. And when this came in and, and Ben started working on, we started you know writing it out and things like that, it showed that one, there's not a lot of room to be visual on the postcard. So, um, you know, having a, a, a less, um, graphic heavy approach is probably the way we're going to have to do this. Um, but like I said earlier, it, it just, it got right to the point really quickly. So it didn't need any visual for me to say, here's a card, say what again? Um, so I was really happy to see that early on as we started to solicit other people because it, It gave them an idea. I I would send them out this game, a picture of the postcard, showing how much, how small of a game it is, but how much space it takes up on a postcard was, was a really good good start. Um, But yeah, it just it hit the right spot for me, but it hit a different spot than, what I initially, uh, thought because I was coming to it from a design side. Um,
1: I know that you know getting into some of the other uh, games as well. Uh, do you feel that because this was the first one and because it came from a quote side, that that may have tainted some designer, some of the other designers' opinion as you were soliciting them, that they may have felt boxed in or just led in that direction?
0: I don't know because not too many other people did a quote and that was the thing I thought I thought might happen, uh, but it didn't. Um, it kind of set the tone for, for our components and kind of see that that everything uses playing cards or dice or pen and paper or coins um we have a lot of stuff that uses playing cards so it may have set a tone in that in just being uh you can use more than just the playing card or the postcard so um it may have set a tone in that but i don't think the quote did and i don't even think the gameplay style did we have a couple push your luck things but i feel like that's something that works well in a small uh, design space. Um, so no, I don't really think that it it influenced as much as I thought it was going to.
1: Um,
0: as, as far as, you know, being that, again, this is your
1: idea, you're publishing all of these, uh, were you expecting, like, really full games uh, from the designers, you know, as you went out, you know, even, you know, this game is an example. Were you expecting really fulfilling, like, heavy games? Or are you expecting really, really light things or somewhere in the
0: middle? Um, Knowing the designers that we were working with, I thought somewhere in the middle uh, for for a bunch of them. um, We have a a pretty diverse group. Um, So I I assume somewhere in the middle, uh, and I'd say we got somewhere in the middle. Our our range of of game style varies quite a bit on these. Um, But with postcard games, I think... My first thought goes to, like, war games. You see a lot of, like, war games have a postcard where you cut out chits and you put them on top of it. uh, And the rules are on the back and it's just terrible. Um, I feel like we were able to get this down to something where it's unique. It's the back is a piece of art. Uh, The front is the game. Or vice versa. The front is a piece of art. The back is the game. They don't have anything to do with each other except for they're both based off the same film but you don't need one to use the other. So you never have to flip this postcard over. So one of the things that that this established and and all the designers kind of worked with, with that was it's basically a set of rules with possibly some gameplay elements, uh, but it directs you how to play the game that's based off of this film. Uh, some of the cards are useful. You know, you need the card to use it or whatever, but um, everybody took that approach where... Uh, Everything is in front of you, face up on the table. I mean, they had to take this approach, but uh, it's it's not fiddly in that way to where some of the, some star games are just terrible in that where you have to buy two to actually play it, where you keep one rule side up and the other one, you know, game side up. Um,
1: when, you know, one of the other things, when you show the art to people uh, for this, they know immediately what movie it's from. Yep. Uh, when you mention the name to people, the name of the game to people. Some people let it go yeah, until it's been played and they hear that line actually said. Then they realize where it came from. Um, is that what you were looking for too? Or were you looking for something that was more immediate or something that just kind of flew under the radar?
0: I like that we'd have a variety. So it's, it's cool to have some that are a, a little more subtle and a little more, uh, say the word like fan service or whatever like that. Um, this one, part of the reason we wanted to kick off was because this one is so direct. Um, it, you know, it's, it's great that you just say it once and everybody knows what it is. You don't even have to say we're playing a game based off Pulp Fiction. We say, don't draw a face card." say what, say what again, and everybody is going to just know exactly what that is. Um, so I like it for this one. Some of our other games aren't as direct, and I still, I still think that's cool, um it's good to have the variety on a series like this. I think that's kind of the biggest thing for me. Uh,
1: as far as the art, because the art is a part of the game too. It's, it's a complete package with the game itself. How, you know, what were you expecting for the art for this game? And when you gave direction to, to the artist, did you tell him the name of the game? Because at that point you already knew the name of this game or did you just give him the title and it just happened that they both tied into each other?
0: So uh, for the art, the artists, basically I gave a very simple directive that was, here's the film, here's a similar project, something like the Gallery 1988 does does the, their Crazy for Cult project, where a bunch of different you know artists will, will do their interpretation of the film. So the only direction I gave them was that, was here's the film, it's Pulp Fiction, uh, we're making a game inspired by it, can you make a piece of art inspired by it, here's the size we're working with, and... We don't want any real, like, logos. You're not making, like, a poster for it. You're just making a piece of art, like an illustration. Um, So the artist for this one is Luke Milton, who I've worked with before um, on the game formerly known as Macrocosm, uh, which is not even out yet, but somebody has a game coming out with that title. (coughs) Um, And I've worked with him on various other non-game-related projects over the years. With him, I know exactly what I'm uh, going to get. I had to tell him keep it family-friendly. So, uh, he, you know, he's he's an Australian, uh, he was a playwright, comic artist, comic writer, um, with amazing sense of humor. Um, but I know if I didn't say keep it family-friendly, what the possibilities were. So, I gave him that directive as well. Uh, I give that to everybody. And I've, everything I've said I've given to everybody. So, with with giving that to him, I didn't know what we were going to get... We could have got Butch, right, and it would have had nothing to do with the game. And I still think that's fine, because that's I want this to feel like an art slash game project where everything's inspired by the same film, but your inspiration might take different directions. Uh, but the fact that he came back with Jules, like breathing fire out of his nose, was one of those very happy coincidences. So, do you, do you expect to see more of that, or what would you have done? Would you have done anything differently if it was Butch instead of Jules? Uh, no, I don't think... I wouldn't have come back and said, you know, do Jules because, like, I really want that to be a factor, that this, these are both inspired by the same piece. Um, it's not the cover for a game, because it's just it's just a all-around, just how does this movie, you know, hit you and touch you, and, and things like that. If it came back as butch, um, it's weird to think, like, back, because, like, I can't picture it as anything else um if it came back as just Butch, I'd kind of be shocked because I feel like you say Pulp Fiction to somebody and you kind of know what you're gonna get like mm-hmm. um for somebody to come back with a piece of art that is Butch would be um I'd probably not expect it just because it's not the first thing you think of um but no I think it's still uh if it's if it screams pulp fiction to me, then then it's cool, you know. I'm trying to think of the other games, and if there's, if somebody comes back with a really like bizarre part of the film that's not super representative, then I feel like they didn't do the right thing anyway. Because um, it's about it's not a hundred percent about just being representative, but it, it's about how it speaks to you. Um, but if this film speaks to you in the weirdest of ways, then. Um, that's going to be interesting. It will be interesting to see that. So far, we got a couple pieces of art in. I've spoken to other artists about what they want to do, and all of them are kind of on the same page of you know, at least putting the main characters in there.
1: Okay. Um, and uh, as far as feeling for this game, uh, how do you how do you feel now that you know this is this is launched and this is ready to go. Uh, how do you feel about this game as a whole and, and the whole package of the art, the game, and, and the experience that the game gives?
0: To me, this one is the one that I feel like, while we want to kick it off because people have seen it, people have played it, um, it's still secret. And I feel like um, it's one of those things that what's going to happen once that month's over? Because this one's very good. It's, it's very representative of, of what we want to do. It's representative of getting to the point right away and it hits the quote and it hits a lot of the sweet spots. So to me, uh, I want it to be there first to kick things off and show everybody the possibility for the line. But at the same time, it's one of those kind of games you want to kind of hold in your back pocket because it's really good and speaks to everybody and is great for the line. So uh, it's it's one that I feel like we won't, this won't be the last of it. Um, this won't be the last we'll see. Um, I don't know what the game could be without the Pulp Fiction, not that it, it doesn't work without it, because it absolutely does, but I'd, I'd be interested in seeing, like, the tone of it without the Pulp Fiction connection. Um, if you just said, don't get a face card, instead of saying, say what again, or, you know. Yeah, I think, I think that the, uh,
1: without it, it could still evoke a feeling, But but having that, that known entity. Yeah. Just ensures that that feeling is going to be there when players
0: play. And there's certain games where you don't want that to happen. Like uh, one of our other games we talked about, we we don't want to, to invoke a feeling, but this one, it sets the tone of, of how games play should be. So it works really well in this. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to see where this goes afterwards. So I mentioned the
1: two-deck, two-dealer game that, that we had played uh, back at Metatopia in, no- in November. Um, And I... Th- Feel right now that that's the uh, the cool thing for me about the, the process and the the playing and the, the testing of this game to see what it can do and what it can be uh, beyond just don't get a face card like you know again it boils down to that but it's there's there's the experience beyond that what's what's been your experience or what's the the one thing about this game or playing this game that you when you've played it that kind of speaks to you or that you remember or hold in your back pocket.
0: um I really like just... This is a weird one, but just watching people play and just watching the scores. like just doc, This is one of those rare games that I've enjoyed like logging scores for. I usually am terrible about that for, for playtesting and keeping track of th- how things go, but I have this big interest in how somebody goes as a dealer versus how they go not as a dealer and how other people go as a dealer and just where that falls on the scoreboard. Uh, but... I kind of said it earlier, but the biggest thing for me about this is um, the dealer having an active role, and, and, and not even just an active thanks, role. Thanks, J-Treat. <laughs> yeah, thanks, J-Treat. J-Treat said, as dealer, I need to have a role in this. But in the, on a meta level, J-Treat had, needed to have a role in this. Um, and, and it's turned out much for the better. Uh, and But we saw the spark even before that. It just It just needed that extra kick. But to me, having control as a dealer as a it takes something that's in a game. I always like to do something like how do you make drawing cards more interesting? How do you make um, you know discarding more interesting? And this one takes how do you make dealing cards more interested, more interesting? And I don't know anything else that does it, and I'd like to hear if anybody else does because that's a really interesting game space that hasn't been. Uh, fully explored at least in my knowledge Um,
1: one of the other things that that i you know that grew in the game uh, based on you know just player experience was that you cannot pass your very first card okay um we you know there were people that that would card count and got really upset that they were pretty sure they were gonna get a face card and they were gonna be down points but it still you know wanted people to feel the tension from the very get-go and, and so it was, it was interesting to see them get that face card and then have the player who just passed breathe a sigh of relief because they didn't get it. It would have been theirs. They would have lost what they had banked, different things like that. It, it was really cool to see that, uh, to force that on them. But then we added a twist where if your first card happens to be a face card, you can give it to any other player at the table. Yeah. Uh, that added another pl- level of, uh, of meta players and, and player interaction just to see that card go. And, and see some of the groupthink that happens where people are lobbying for it to go to one person or another. Yeah. Um, and, and to watch people realize they can give it to the dealer as well. Um, it, it was it just that that you can give that first face card away, if it's your very first card, at another level. And people play differently now. Um, uh, one of the dealers in our two-deck game, he kept all his cards in his pocket so nobody knew what he had <laughs> because then they would think that he wouldn't have cards and he ended up scoring eighteen points as wow. the dealer, which I think is a record.
0: One of the things this was really early on, probably even before the dealer had a had a role, was one of our guys here, Ken, used to play it, and you deal Ken the first card and, and he'd just refuse it. And he just refused a ton of cards, but he goes, I know that's a face card. And like he know he knows he wouldn't advance if he just passed and, and moved it on. But there was this Deep down, like, he had, like a, like, a vision that that was a face card and wanted nothing to do with it. And that's just such a bizarre, like, experience of, like, Press Your Luck is, like, hey, give this to me, you know, whatever. I know it's going to come or it's eventually going to hit. But he, like, refused it and and, like, almost, like, on, like, a spiritual level would not take those cards. And that was pretty, pretty interesting. Has anybody else done anything like that? Um we see that now with card counting. Okay. But that's why His wasn't know. card
1: counting. No, his wasn't card counting. His was, it was, it was something God bad told him. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um there was some bad juju in that card. But uh the way, you know, that's the, there were people that would just straight card count. And and that's what they do, and that's cool. And that's why that bonus card on a Say What Again is face down. Yeah. Because in a 54 card deck, I can't mitigate card counting. Yeah. It's it's not possible. Uh, to no, any real degree to, 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 to card count because yeah. you're, you're counting face cards. There's only 12 of them. Uh, but by that card being face down, you don't know if it's a face card. or You don't know if it's... Originally, it was face up. Uh, but then, again, card counting at the very end, the game became a known entity. Uh, by turning that card over, it, it changed that and it opened up a little bit more uncertainty
0: than, than is already there. So I have two questions left. First one, how do you feel... Kicking this project off how do you, How does it make you feel um especially is this your first technical published design this is my
1: first published design because i'm not a designer you've been a part of things that are published yes i've been a part of things that are published oh. uh, but this is the first one where you know my name is above the title or or whatever um
0: so i can tell you how it makes me feel uh, not re- how are makes you it feel? glad that it's not you uh I'm not really glad that it's not me because I feel like I have to just show that I'm part of this. Like, I feel like that's important. Um, so I'm not happy that it's not me, and I'm not unhappy that it's not me. Uh, but my interesting thing is I'm, I'm when I'm trying to promote these, I'm putting everybody's published designs after their last names. So we're starting out with yours, and it's going to say yeah. Ben Beagle. It was one of the things I counted uh, a while ago. I think we were at
1: 27 or 28 published designs across the... Uh, um, the, the 12 artists or the 12 designers um i think there's more now so uh, so it's but um it, it doesn't again it doesn't change me i mean you and i've had discussions before where my my thought process is the cool thing yeah my thought process isn't about again my name on the uh, above the design or my name on the box um so so i'm not really worried about it i i, I want people to, to enjoy it when they're playing it and obviously that happens. That happened you know, back in June, right after I, w- I started showing it to people, and it was still really raw. Um, you know, We saw that they got that experience out of it. That's when I was happy. I'm happy when I sit down and play this game with people. Uh, or when I have somebody who goes, oh, can I join in? What are you guys doing? There's that table of people being loud. And not just loud, but having fun yeah. and enjoying themselves. And, and there's a back and forth <laughs> discussion. Um, so... I'm excited to kick it off, but I'm more excited to get more people playing this uh, than I am about, you know, seeing my name on BGG or, or anything like that. I, I want it, again, to be a success. But, uh, you know, only time will tell if, if people do get that feeling that I'm hoping they do get and that I've already seen.
0: Um, so I lied. I have, three, I have two more questions now. Lies make people uh, Jesus cry. If, if somebody else... Who would you like to see design a Pulp Fiction game uh, not, it doesn't have to be a designer, it could be a publisher, but if there was another game to eventually come out in Pulp Fiction, uh, anything, uh, who would you like to see it come from?
1: I'd see a Pulp Fiction game as, is more of a, uh, a big epic thing. Okay. So I I wouldn't see it coming from, from a smaller or indie or, or smaller publisher. I think it'd be, you know, it'd be interesting to see, uh, Cool mini do it, That's and an just, an just the amazing stretch too. goals that they would have uh, for for different little sculpts. And like, I'm Butch, I'm Mia, I'm Jimmy, I'm making coffee.
0: <laughs> that would be pretty awesome.
1: They Designed by Eric
0: Line. Yeah, so you hit the publisher and the designer. I think that was a given too. Um, so my last question is: This is a dumb one because I know the answer, but other people need to know. What else are you working on? Um, so I'm working on
1: the uh, all, all of the designs for this public postcard series I'm, I'm helping you out with that uh, just just playing around with some of that um, I, I'm working on some of the, the wallet games that are that are coming through uh, that we have coming up in the future as far as my own personal designs I was at bG con uh, two weeks ago at the time of this recording and uh, I showed some guys a thing that I had that I had an idea for that's Really half a thing, and I wasn't sure if it was something that was worth turning into a full thing. And got into a short discussion about some possibilities for where to take it, some stumbling blocks. So I think that's one of the things that I'm going to work on. And uh, uh, this is something that we had discussed a while ago uh, that, that I come up with a, a, a hand management game and, and then realized that I had just made a four-player version of one of your two-player games <laughs> uh, about a week later. Uh, it, was, it was very evocative of that, but I think it's, it's grown a little since then. So that's one of the things that I'm, I'm focusing on now. And and I still have the uh, the silly little card game that is a cool store and nothing to do with it that, that someday I'd like to do something with it. But I have a whole, you know, deck of cards to see what I can come up with.
0: Cool. All right. Well, this is our first month and it's Pulp Fiction and I'm trying to think of a quote to end this on. Uh, say what it again, it's a good quote. <laughs> um, but yeah, thanks Ben and to playing this I play this with my family you know conventions Uh, it's one that's going to be played for a long time cool thanks thank you